Hey there, and welcome to the pod. So glad that you're here with us as always. We've got a super powerful episode today. Can't wait to dive into it, but just a couple of things really quick before we do so. I wanted to remind you or let you know for the first time, if you haven't before, that I am doing an extra special workshop on February 15th called Sleep, How to Get It, and How to Keep It All Night. And the reason that I'm doing this workshop is because this is the number one issue that women come to me about. And then it's also just the number one thing that I see in women over age 40, the number one issue, the complaints about not being able to sleep. Usually it's about not being able to sleep the night. You can get to sleep decently, but then you struggle with that wake up call at 3 or 4 a.m. and can't get back to sleep. And we're going to talk about what that's all about. And the thing about getting good sleep is that it is a essential, it's an essential component of your hormone health. And that's because sleep impacts your circadian rhythm, right? Which is our daily rhythm. And the thing is our circadian rhythm really is what builds out what's called our infradian rhythm, which is our entire month of a menstrual cycle. So if your circadian rhythm's off, then your infradian rhythm is going to be off. And I'm going to break all of that down for you and how to start to get out of the um, hormonal, you know, blitz that you may be dealing with right now and get back to better sleep. And, you know, it is not just about um, one thing or the other, like there's lifestyle stuff that we're going to go after. Um, We're going to talk about things that you do during the daytime that impact your sleep. We're going to talk about foods that impact your sleep in positive or negative ways. And then Definitely, we're going to cover supplements that are hugely impactful for sleep, particularly that deep sleep through the night, not waking up situation. And this is such an important topic to me because I have the personal experience of really struggling for two to three years after my surgeries went awry with getting sleep all night. So I tested (laughs) every possible way um, to actually get some really good deep sleep. And I'm going to share what actually worked with you, right? Because there are lots of things out there that don't really work that well for people or maybe work for a little while. So I'm sharing all of that during the workshop. I'm also giving you a free bonus printout, which is going to have the main points from the workshop so that you can easily access those, um, you know, after you've watched the workshop and you're like, okay, I can't remember everything she said, boom, workshops got, uh, worksheets got all of the information on that. You can keep it beside your bed. You can put it on your fridge, whatever works for you. I'm also doing a free EFT session. Um, as a bonus for that workshop, which will be focused on helping you get and stay to sleep too, because, you know, it's never just one level. And so this will help you on that energetic level with getting to sleep. So it's a jam packed, awesome workshop that's going to be happening on February 15th at 12 PM Eastern standard time. If you can't make that time, you know how we do. If you sign up, you will get the replay plus the bonus worksheet plus the bonus EFT sent to you. So there is limited space for this workshop. If you are having issues with sleep, now is the time to jump on it and sign up for this workshop. So all you have to do is go to my website, christinegarvin.com. Just scroll to the top of the homepage and you'll see a little link there in order to sign up, grab your spot can't wait to see there. I'm so excited to share this information because I know how life-changing it is. One other thing, I put a poll out to my newsletter peeps. Um, If you aren't currently on my newsletter, I highly recommend getting on it. It is a place that I share information before 
anywhere else before my social media, before here on the podcast. And there's also extra things that I share there that I don't share in these other places. And some of the feedback that I've gotten from my newsletter is that people really appreciate sort of the personal stories that I share and also stories with my clients so that they can really see themselves in these stories. So it's not just a bunch of technical information, but it's really technical information that's housed in stories. And so I appreciate that feedback that I've gotten that people really actually enjoy my newsletter because I know we're inundated with newsletters and I appreciate every single person who is on my newsletter list, opens up those newsletters. And especially, you know, when we have a little conversation because somebody responds to something I've said there. So if you aren't on the list, go get it. You'll also get some freebies for signing up. That's also on my website, christinegarvin.com. Anyways, the point of all of that is that I put out a poll last week to my newsletter list asking whether people would prefer an intro to hormones four-week program or an intro to perimenopause four-week program. And guess what the results were? 50-50 down the middle. So I decided to start with the intro to hormones program because it's important for even if you are in perimenopause to understand the basics of hormones before diving deeper into perimenopause. So I'll do the intro to hormones first, and then later on I will do an intro to perimenopause program. So this is something we're looking at doing um, mid to late February. If this is something that interests you, shoot me a quick message and let me know. Um, I'm just trying to sort of gauge, you know, the interest from different areas. So I want to make sure that if you are interested, that you do hear about it when it happens. Okay, so that is it for the announcements for this week. I am so excited for you to listen to this super powerful episode with Jacqueline. And it is about something called lichen sclerosis, which if you've never heard about it before, you are in good company. I had barely heard about it before. I didn't really know what it was. And this episode is so illuminating. I have to admit, I haven't been on the edge of my seat in an interview for a while. And I was for so much of this interview because Jacqueline does an amazing job of really explaining what lichen sclerosis is. And it is something that is an autoimmune disorder that impacts your vulva to start off with. But she dives deep into everything that is um, about it and concerning it. And it's crazy. It's crazy, crazy, crazy stuff that um, women that have it have to experience. And she also shares her own story and her own journey of it taking 10 years in order to get diagnosed because so few doctors know how to um, spot it. You know, it's kind of like endometriosis where it just needs some light shown on it because a lot of doctors don't know about it um, or, you know, know very little about it. So this is so important. Even if you don't have it, you know, even if you don't have any issues with your vulva, I think it's really important information for us to know. And also if you do have someone in your life that has something going on with their vulva and they aren't sure what it is and maybe have kept quiet about it because they've struggled to get a diagnosis. This episode is just something hugely important to share with them and just have that information so that you can share that if that ever comes up in your circle. So, so excited for you to hear everything today um, in this interview. And I know you're going to just have your mind blown like I was. So let's go ahead and dive into it. Hey there, and welcome to Hormonally Speaking. I'm your host, Christine Garvin, a functional health coach. Each week, I speak with an incredible guest expert on all things women's hormones. 
We're here to empower you to take back control of your body, health, and well-being, and to learn about the latest in research and solutions when it comes to getting your hormones happy. No part of this podcast should be construed as medical advice, and we always recommend working with a professional practitioner to figure out what's best for your body. Now let's dive in with today's guest. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of Hormonally Speaking. Today, we're going to talk about something different. I literally have never talked about this on the podcast before, which is why I'm so excited to talk about it and also for me to learn about it. I was just talking with my guest right beforehand saying that I didn't really know much about this area. And it's so important, I think, for us to understand these things that aren't talked about as much with uh, women's bodies in particular, and, you know, uh, the struggle that a lot of women will have in getting things diagnosed and even understanding what they are. And so, you know, one of you listening out there might actually have this and not even realize it. So I'm so excited to talk about it with today's guest, who's Jacqueline Lanthier, who is the founder of the Lost Labia Chronicles, a content hub for lichen sclerosis information and education. She is also a content creator, board member, facilitator, and volunteer for Lichen Sclerosis Support Network, a nonprofit organization whose mission is to empower people with lichen sclerosis by providing evidence-based education. Welcome, Jacqueline. Well, thank you so much for having me, Christine. I'm super excited to be here. Yes. So the thing that we're talking about that I haven't talked about on the podcast before is lichen sclerosis. <laughs> so let's start off with what it is for people that like me don't know. Right. And to be fair, most people don't know. When <laughs> I was diagnosed, I was literally like, I'm sorry, what? What? Like, <laughs> what is that? Okay. So what is lichen sclerosis? So lichen sclerosis is a chronic inflammatory skin disorder that primarily affects the genitals. So mm -hmm. the vulva, the perianal area, and the penis as well okay. um, for people that have penises. Mm -hmm. And you can get it on the non-genital parts of your body. So you mm -hmm. can get it. The common areas tend to be like the upper arms, the chest, the thighs. So, but primarily we see it in the genitals Okay. and, um, it is considered an autoimmune disorder. Okay. There's still a lot of research that they need to do, but we have kind of global consensus in the medical community that it is autoimmune. Mm -hmm. Um, they do suspect that there's a genetic component, although they're still working to kind of flesh out and really understand the genetic piece of that puzzle. So mm -hmm. it's like autoimmune maybe genetics, there mm -hmm. might be hormones, but those two All pieces the good are not as, right? right. Exactly. <laughs> They're a little unclear on how those things are fitting together. Right. Um, so when we talk about signs and symptoms, signs are things that you can visibly see mm -hmm. and symptoms are things that you can feel. And this distinction actually is important when we talk about it. So for signs, we're going to talk about vulvas. Mm -hmm. So I've got this little vulva puppet here. I love it. Uh, so this dark purple, I'm not the greatest at describing colors, but we're going to go with dark purple. The, mm -hmm. These are like your outer lips. Mm -hmm. The inner lips are this kind of crimsony magenta color. Mm -hmm. And at the top, you have that little nub that they commonly call it. Mm -hmm. um, so this navy blue part is your clitoral hood mm -hmm. and that kind of covers or partially covers the clitoral glands which mm -hmm. i've just revealed in pink here this white inside is your vestibule area so you have like the urethra up here 
the vaginal opening here, the perineum and the anus at the bottom. Mm -hmm. Those are kind of missing on this little puppet, but they're there at the bottom, I assure you. <laughs> so when we're talking signs, what can happen is the your vulva can actually change. Mm. So the aesthetic, how it looks can change. So things like hypopigmentation can occur, which means a lightening of this skin. Now, this really mm -hmm. depends on your skin color. Right. Um, so it can present anywhere from like a white, like a printer paper white mm -hmm. to a kind of grayish, maybe silver, even ashy colored. But oh. it's a lightening of the skin that okay. you'll experience. There are other things like scarring. So the word sclerosis actually means scarring mm -hmm. and scarring is something that can occur anywhere on the vulva. So scarring can be where the hood of the clitoris will actually scar over the glands. So in a, yeah, <laughs> in a healthy vulva that, you know, doesn't have any disorders or things going on, mm -hmm. you can retract the hood. You can mm -hmm. pull it up by making that, you know, upwards pulling motion mm -hmm. for people with lichen sclerosis, depending on the severity of their scarring. And a lot of people will call it fusing mm -hmm. is it doesn't, you can't retract it. Mm. It doesn't move at all. Right. The skin, the tissue should really be elastic and mobile, right. but it doesn't move. Scar and tissue this causes, is not. Yeah, exactly. It's very mm -hmm. immobile. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we'll talk about all the complications that can come with, you know, having this, mm -hmm. but another thing that can happen is the labia minora can start to stick together and fuse to the labia majora. Wow. Okay. And the end process of that kind of fusing, you know, is that the two can actually resorb, mm. which means that those two parts actually almost become like one wow. so that it's flush with the flush with the other. So that if you closed your eyes and ran your fingers, you would not be able to tell that you are touching two different parts. Wow. It's almost like it completely just melts. Wow. You can also have fusing around the opening of the, you know, vagina. Mm -hmm. So that can cause narrowing of the vaginal entrance, which again can cause, you know, some issues. So there's yeah. a lot of physical signs that doctors will kind of look out for when they're making those diagnoses. Mm -hmm diagnoses. Mm -hmm. And um, when we talk about symptoms, itch and pain are the two main symptoms, but I want to dive a little bit deeper because when we are in the realm of vulvovaginal conditions, almost all of them involve an itch and pain component, yeah. right? Yep. A yeast infection can be itchy and it can also be painful. Mm -hmm. um, you know, menopause can cause itch, Mm -hmm. overactive pelvic floor can cause burning and itch and all of these things. So I want to just dive a little bit deeper into those symptoms to give a little bit more clarity. So the itch for lichen sclerosis is as someone that experienced it, it's unlike any other itch. It's not a typical yeast infection itch. It's like a yeast infection on steroids. Oh. Um, it is like, I mean, people develop full on insomnia oh. because the itch keeps them up at night. I know oh. people that have holes in their underwear from scratching, scratching. and oh. blood, blood, oh. like blood and underwear because the scratching is so intense and so unrelentless. That said, not everybody has the itch or has the itch to that extent. Mm -hmm. Some people get it like mild and sporadic. So sometimes they almost don't even go to the doctor because they'll start to feel itchy and be like, oh, maybe I should call my doctor. Itch. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And then like the next day it's gone. So they're like, oh, okay, like, I guess, I guess it was nothing. Mm -hmm. Um, 
So itch can really be on this big spectrum of mild and sporadic to constant, persistent, and super severe. Um, Pain is another really big one. Now the pain can be just feel like localized discomfort. Mm -hmm. It can feel um, specific to an area. So some people will get pain in the clitoral area. So especially folks that have fusing, Mm -hmm. um, they can also feel like they have a constant feeling of like a pulling or a tightness in the area that can cause pain. Um, And lichen sclerosis can also cause the skin to fissure and crack. So you can get fissures, like kind of micro tears Uh, all around the clitoral area, all around this labia minora, around the perineum. Um, People can tear more Mm -hmm. easily. Mm -hmm. So tearing during sex is definitely a big one. And again, when we talk about tearing during sex, we're often talking about the vaginal opening and the perineum. Yeah, Those yeah. areas tend to be the big ones. Yeah. Um, but you can tear anywhere and you don't need to be having sex to tear. So some people with more advanced lichen sclerosis will say that they're walking up the stairs and they told oh, walking up the stairs. Oh, like so you know, bad. Right? It's yeah. just like walking. So the skin tears more easily because the word lichen actually means like hard, rigid, thick. And lichen sclerosis causes the skin to thicken and harden. So that scarring that we were talking about, we lose that elasticity. Mm-hmm. And because the skin isn't elastic and mobile, it can crack super easy when we're trying to stretch it. Yeah, I almost say like, if you think about a, an elastic, a thin elastic, and you can stretch it really easily. Yeah. But if you take like a thick elastic that you find around like broccoli, let's say, mm-hmm. and you try to stretch it it doesn't go very far. Mm -hmm. And so that's what happens with like in sclerosis skin. So because it lacks that mobility and elasticity, it can tear really easily. Mm -hmm. Pain with sex is a really big one as well. Yeah. Some people will say, yeah, like some people will say, oh, like they'll feel the tear. So that obviously hurts. Um, And other people will say like it burns or it just like you know, they get like sharp pain and stinging during sex. Um, other people will say that sex is fine, but after they're done sex, they'll be burning. Like their vulva's on fire for weeks. Mm. So pain can really feel like stinging, like little paper cuts. It can feel like, um, it can feel like aching and kind of just general soreness. Soreness mm-hmm. is a big one. So if people are sitting, you know, they'll say like, oh, it just feels like so super sore. It can burn. So really a whole host of things when oh we're talking things. about pain and itch, but yeah. those seem to be like the, the main kind of symptoms. Gotcha. Can any, can any tearing happen inside the vaginal canal too, or is it mostly mm. just the outer vulva? So that's a great question. Um, lichen sclerosis does not, or in most cases, almost never affects the inside. Okay. So lichen sclerosis affects the outside. Uh So if there are issues inside of the vagina, it's Mm -hmm. likely caused by a secondary condition, which could be something like hypertonic pelvic floor, which is where the muscles get super, super tight. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Because if you think about it, like if we're experiencing pain with sex Mm -hmm. repeatedly, it makes sense that our bodies would start to guard yep. and tense up to protect yep. us, which means that if my body's doing that and, you know, I'm trying to put something inside of me and yep. those muscles tense up, then I can experience now pain and issues inside of the vagina. Right. So a lot of times when people say stuff's going on in the vagina, 
it's definitely something to discuss with your healthcare provider to yeah. see what is going on on the inside because yeah. lichen sclerosis almost exclusively is affecting on the, outside. the outside of the vagina. Yeah, that's good to know. And I'll just add to that that, you know, I, I did pelvic floor therapy after um, some surgeries that went wrong. And um, it was fascinating for me because I didn't even realize I had this kind of intense tightness on the left side of my vagina until the pelvic floor therapist was in there. And what was fascinating about that too, is you hear so much about doing, you know, Kegel exercises. And in my case, that's the ant, that's not what I should be doing. Essentially, mm -hmm. you know, need to be doing the opposite. And that was when it really opened my mind to how important pelvic floor therapy is yes. for, you know, for every person that has a, a vulva and particularly after any kind of surgery, birth, oh, yeah. giving birth, any of those things, like, because I mean, the pelvic floor really holds everything up and it's such an important part. And mm -hmm. when things, you know, it can really make a lot of things feel very uncomfortable if, if things are, you know, tight or going wrong in there. So yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And it's, so, it's so true that we don't always know that our pelvic floor is tense. Yep. Mm -hmm. A lot of people, I always recommend pelvic floor physical therapy for folks mm -hmm. that have lichen sclerosis mm -hmm. um, and people are like, but why? Right. Like, right. My You're like, it's on the outside. Yeah, fine. exactly. Yeah. And they're like, mm -hmm. well, I don't feel pain in my mm -hmm. pelvic floor. And the truth is a lot of us don't really have a strong mind body connection yep. to our pelvic floor. Yep. And that's something that's actually taught in pelvic floor physical therapy. Mm -hmm. Like that's kind yep. of where I learned it. So it's yep. kind of normal Absolutely. for us to be like, well, my pelvic floor is fine. Like right. that's not where my issue is. And <laughs> I we're have completely that disconnected. Too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yeah. then they go in and they do their assessment and mm -hmm. they're like, well, actually, yeah, you know, your pelvic floor muscles are really tight or mm -hmm. they find that you're riddled with trigger points and mm -hmm. all of these things. And you had no idea. And again, like you said, because the pelvic floor holds all of the reproductive organs mm -hmm. and our bladder and our rect and all of that, and it connects intimately to the vagina and the vulva, mm -hmm. it's like, well, yeah, yeah. it all makes it sense. <laughs> but until somebody kind of puts those pieces together for you, right. right? it's kind of like, well, why would you have thought to go to pelvic floor physical therapy for right. a vulvar condition? Right, right. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I'm so glad that you brought up that point because it is such a, an overwhelming thing, I think for a lot of women to even start to tap into, but it's so empowering <laughs> to go mm -hmm. to a public floor therapist, in my opinion. And you really do start to make that mind body connection on a different level. Yeah. Um, so tell us your story. And obviously, mm -hmm. you know, you went through the process of getting diagnosed. How long did it take before you got diagnosed? <laughs> what was sort of the lead up? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I started experiencing symptoms in my early twenties. Okay. Um, and what I first started feeling was just discomfort during sex. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have called it exactly like pain in mm -hmm. the like doubled over kind of mm -hmm. sense, but just like it kind of hurt and it just felt uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Um, but I was like, all right, like not enough to make me worry, just enough mm -hmm. to make me notice. Right. Um, and as I kind of moved into my twenties, that discomfort turned into pain. So it started hurting the second I was penetrated. Mm. Um, I started experiencing like burning pain during and after. And then around my mid twenties, I also started to tear 
Ugh. with sex. So for me, that was primarily my perineum and mm. the vaginal opening. Gotcha. And that was like really, really distressing to, to feel and to experience <laughs> yeah. because, you know, I would talk to my friends, you know, that were having sex and, and they were like, everything's good. <laughs> no one ever mentioned like the pain and yeah. the tearing. Definitely no one said tearing. Like that's right. a word I never heard right. at all. And so I was like, what's, what's going on here? So yeah. at this period, I would go in to different clinics mm -hmm. um, and I would be like, you know, and this is something that I'll circle back to at the end, but I would say my vagina hurts. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. My vagina hurts. I don't know what's going on. Give me a look. And perhaps unexpectedly, uh, unsurprisingly, they would do the typical, like a quick look inside and, you know, everything looks great. Mm -hmm. You are perfectly healthy. We'll run some STI tests just mm -hmm. in case, mm -hmm. um, cause that could be causing it, but otherwise you look fine. Um, it, it's probably because you're very small and your partner's probably too big. So um, like, that tearing's just going to happen because of that. Yeah, <laughs> basically like, they made it seem like it like, was, do you know, normal. anything about, you know, I mean, <laughs> and, and the truth anatomy. is back then I wasn't very critical of right. healthcare providers. I kind right. of took everyone's word yeah. as authority, which you know? is normal in your twenties, right? Of I course, think, you know, of course, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. it's like, okay, they went to school for this. They know mm -hmm. better than you. Like just, okay, I guess I'm too small. Another thing I heard was you're probably really stressed and it's probably stress causing the pain. My favorite. They, like, they will put that I on know, anything. <laughs> on everything. And it's kind of funny because in part, they're not wrong, right? right. Like stress exactly. plays a huge, huge role, role in yep. almost every condition. Yep. And, and that's a big piece of it. Yep. But what I dislike is when they make that to be the sole cause. Right. And right. everything is put under that because I was like, I agree. well, I agree. Of course I'm stressed. Yeah. Like, why wouldn't I be stressed? Every yeah. time I have sex, my body tears. Like, that's stressful. Of course I'm stressed. Right. But also, I have a hard time understanding how stress would literally tear my body open. Exactly. Exactly. Like, yeah. That was it. And then so like sometimes too, they would tell me, um, you know, it's probably stressed. You should try doing yoga. Yeah. <laughs> that's my favorite thought that that was really, really funny because I would literally show up there having just left the yoga studio <laughs> with my strap and my yoga mat. And I'm in my, you know, Lulu lemons. Yeah. You're like, like, why do you think I look like this? But do you, yeah, exactly. Like I just live in active wear for fun. Like I just came from yoga. Like oh I do God. these things. I do quote the right things. Yep. Yep. And this keeps happening to right. me. Oh, so, so frustrating. Kind of, I'm sorry oh, yeah. that you went through that experience. It's super common, unfortunately, <laughs> mm -hmm. but that, you know, I'm still, yeah, I know that must yeah. have been so frustrating. It, it sucks it's every time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. And then, so then I started questioning myself because then I started really doubting like what was going on. I was like, is sure. this all in my head? Like, yep. am I literally imagining tearing right now? Yeah. Like, and were you not... bleeding from the tears too? Sometimes. Yes. Yeah. Sometimes, yes. And I could usually tell when I would like go to the bathroom after mm -hmm. and I would like wipe. wipe. There was blood on mm -hmm. on the thing. And I was like, okay. But it also very clearly wasn't like menstrual blood. Yeah. Yep. Um, there was like a difference like in the bright color. red. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So mm -hmm. I was like, okay, well, this isn't like my period. So yeah. 
you know, and I would tell them this and they're like, yep, you're just really small and your partner's too big. And I was like, it's like, okay. do you know anything about women's anatomy? You know, I mean, come on. <laughs> right. And, and these were, you know, a lot of these doctors were women too, yep. right? Yep. Like they I weren't, know. this wasn't all like old white men telling right. me this. Right. It happens uh, just as often with women. Doctors. Yeah. Yep. So mm-hmm. I was like, okay. And I, I just kind of felt really hopeless. Mm-hmm. Um, and the tearing just kept progressing. And then I would say that when I was in my thirties, like pain became excruciating Mm. when I tried to have sex. Like it was now like, I was like, I don't think I can do this anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, This pain is too much. And even when I wasn't having sex, I was in pain Mm. um, because I had fissures all over the vulva. I had fissures around the clitoral area, my labia menorah, they were everywhere. And how I describe this to people is it almost felt like someone made like a hundred paper cuts all in my vulva and then took lemon juice or rubbing alcohol and poured it on top. And that's how I felt even when I wasn't having sex. So my, you know, nervous system was obviously kind of stuck in sympathetic mode. Talk about stress. Right. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Because I was always feeling like this. I was burning. I was stinging. Like moving was weird. I could never get comfortable. If anyone, Mm -hmm. you know, went out and hung out with me, they would notice I was always fidgeting in my seat. Mm -hmm. Like I couldn't sit still because it was just so uncomfortable and painful and distressing. And so part of this issue is that I did move to London, Ontario, Mm -hmm. um, later in my life to do graduate school. Mm -hmm. And as somebody in grad school, you're kind of just going to the university clinic Right. And the university clinic has different doctors on rotation. Mm-hmm. So during this whole time, and now we're talking 10 years, I still don't have a diagnosis. Um, and FYI, that's not uncommon. Yeah. The typical time it takes to get a lichen sclerosis diagnosis is five to 15 years. Yeah. So I'm kind me. of falling yep, right, mm-hmm, in right in the middle of this. And, and so I just I'm... want to say really quick that I'm so impressed so often when I hear about chronic pain sufferers who still like you were able to still go to school. You were mm-hmm. able to still do all because you, I mean, we're just strong, right? <laughs> like, yeah, just yeah. strong. Like it's amazing, Honestly. right? Under uh-huh. all that consistent pain, you still you know, did all these things in your life. So anyways, continue yeah, with your story. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so yeah, so like I'm in grad school, I'm doing my PhD, I'm volunteering on a crisis line, I'm working part-time and I'm losing it internally Yeah, because I cannot understand what's going on with my right. body. Right. And so after I finished grad school, I moved to Toronto, Ontario, and that's where I am now. So I've kind mm-hmm. of settled here. And I decided like, all right, I'm going to get a family doctor and hopefully now, well, I wanted a family doctor just in general, right? It is an important thing to have a primary care physician that's kind of watching over you. So Mm -hmm. I definitely knew I needed to get one of those. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, a couple months into moving to Toronto, had sex with my husband Mm -hmm. and I almost lost my mind. Mm -hmm. I was like, I don't think I can do this anymore. Mm-hmm. And uh for context by the way, this is like 2 months into being newlywed. Oh no. Like yeah. And I'm thinking I have to tell my husband like I can't have I don't sex think with you anymore. Never have sex, yeah. you know, and I was like I need to have this conversation but I don't know how. Yeah. So I thought I'm going to try again. 
I'm going to yep. go to a different clinic. I found a clinic. It was called like hassle-free clinic or something. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of marketed as a STI slash just like genital health space, mm -hmm. like anything involving the genitals. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, like this is a clinic unlike before where I was kind of in and out general clinics. I was like, mm -hmm. maybe a more specialized place is what I need. Mm -hmm. So I went in there feeling hopeful that I would get some answers. I did not. Mm. What I left with was maybe you have multiple sclerosis <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with your vulva. Now the multiple sclerosis thing threw me through a, right. a head spin because right. my mother had like uh, oh, multiple sclerosis. Oh, wow. So I, you know, and I, I, so I've always been mindful that, you right. know, there is some kind of genetic connection right. with, you know, multiple sclerosis. So then but, I was like, oh shit. Like, but it doesn't it? impact the vulva, right? Not exactly. No. Yeah. So like with multiple sclerosis, sexual dysfunction is uh, a symptom, gotcha. but sexual dysfunction is a huge umbrella term. Right. So it's kind of like, well, what does that really mean and everything? Right. And I was like, I guess it could, like if my neurons weren't transmitting mm. or were like transmitting improperly pain mm -hmm. signals to the vulva, mm. like maybe. Right. So I was a little bit nervous, but I also just felt completely hopeless at that point. And yeah. I actually gave up. Yeah. This was imagine. like 10 years. And I said, that's it. Like, I'm, I, this is it. Like, I, yeah. I can't do this anymore. No one can help me. It must be in my head. Yeah. I, do, I don't know what's wrong with me. And now I don't know what I'm going to do with my marriage. Oh, so I gave can up. I, I threw in can the I towel. ask a quick question? Mm -hmm. Were you seeing anything at that point? Where, like, were you looking at your vulva to mm -hmm. see anything? Because that's not something right. that a lot of, you know, Western a lot of and yeah. No, I was yeah. not. Yeah. I was too afraid to look down there because yeah. I was either afraid of the horror show that I was going to see. Right. Or I was actually more afraid of seeing nothing mm, because mm. seeing nothing meant that everybody was right, right. that this was in my head. Right, right. And that was something that I wasn't ready to accept. Mm -hmm. I wasn't ready to think that my mind was so strong that it could create tearing sensations and all of these things on my body. Right. And so I was so afraid because everyone kept saying, you look great. You look great. You look great. And I was like, okay, well, I don't feel great. <laughs> That's um, always my know, favorite, like, right? They're like, if you look especially thin on the outside, then everything's good internally. And it's like, no, yes, no. it's <laughs> so messed up, mm -hmm. so problematic. And so, no, I was not looking. And mm -hmm. this is like the second piece of looking back what I wish I did. Mm -hmm. Um, so I gave up and then I went to see my general physician, which is primary care physician for mm -hmm. folks listening in the United States. Mm -hmm. And uh, I went in for something completely different. Like it was probably my low back, um, my low back pain or something completely unrelated. And then I off the cuff just mentioned something about my vulva. Mm -hmm. um, and my general physician was like, well, I'm sorry, say that again. And I was like this. And she's like, do you have any other symptoms? And I said them all. Mm. And she said, listen, I understand that numerous doctors have told you that there's nothing wrong, but as your family doctor, I would like to take a look. Mm. I would like to take a look and see and be the one to say, yes, there's nothing wrong. You're mm -hmm. healthy. Mm -hmm. You mind if I take a look at you? And I thought, yeah, at, at that point, point you're like, whatever. One <laughs> more doctor looking at me down there. I'm already here. I might as well. So yeah. I went into the next room 
you know, you know, the drill, right? Mm -hmm. Take off the pants, get into the little stirrups, mm -hmm. uh, inch your butt down on the crinkly paper. <laughs> and she walks in and I, I swear, not even a second, looks at my vulva and goes, you have lichen sclerosis. <gasps> so she and actually said, knew what it was. Yeah. And I was like, what? What? Oh and goodness. then at that point, then she started to do, you know, a more in-depth yeah. clinical examination. So getting up front, like examining the clitoris, examining the labia and mm -hmm. all of that. And she goes, yeah, this is like in sclerosis. Wow. She said, Your whole vulva is white, like white. And none and of these other doctors noticed this. <laughs> this is the thing. I'm like, what do you mean? Yeah. I look great and right. healthy. It was yeah. all white. Like. And that's the thing, right? Like in the vulvar space, we definitely always talk about like diversity. Yep. Right. Like some people have big inner lips. Some people mm -hmm. have small inner lips. They come in different sizes, colors, shapes, and all of this. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And all of those are healthy, mm -hmm. but also. Yes. Right. Sometimes just having a new or different presenting vulva doesn't always mean it's healthy. I right. mean, this was white. So she goes, it's white. And she goes, your labia minora have fused. They're stuck to your labia majora. And she's like, and I can't see your clitoral glands. You're completely oh. scarred over. And I was like, my heart was in my, you know, beating. Yeah. I just, I was like, I was, I felt so disoriented. I was like, what is happening? Right. Um. So she goes, okay, put your clothes back on. We'll go back to the other room and we'll discuss this. So she told me, all right, you have LS. It's an autoimmune condition. We do seem to think that it runs in families. So there, you know, you might have somebody in your family with it. Um, she says it can cause sexual dysfunction. And here's a tube of steroids. Go get this prescription filled mm -hmm. and you'll be on this medication. You apply it daily and you'll be on it for life. Wow. Well, how did you like, feel when she said that? Were you like... I mean, I can imagine it was a range of emotions. Oh, totally. I was going to say it was like I was two different people because yeah. there was one part of me that was the happiest I'd felt in years. Right. Because it was so validating to yes. find that there was something actually, it wasn't in my head after all. Like yeah. there really was tearing, there really was issues. And so there was that validating part. Yep. And then there was the part of me that it just felt like someone ran over me with a truck yeah, I can because imagine. I was like, there's no cure and it causes sexual dysfunction. And those were the two pieces that I really held on to. Yeah. And I went home that night, cried and told my husband now like three months mm. that we'd never have sex again because I had this condition. And so, you know, looking back, I think there's a lot of things that took it, took why it took, you know, 10 years to get diagnosed. And I think, you know, one part of that is awareness. Mm -hmm. People just don't know about it. Yep. In, gyneco in gynecology, I think they get about eight hours on vulvar conditions, on all vulvar conditions. And people yeah. have no idea until you start digging into the research, yep. how many vulvar conditions there are out there. Oh, I'm sure. Eight <laughs> hours. Let's think that maybe like in sclerosis gets 30 minutes and then they never hear about it again. Again, yeah. And gynecology and obstetrics really focuses heavily on the baby mm -hmm. aspect of it all. Yep. So, you know, these vulvar yep. conditions, they slip through the cracks. Yep. But then another thing is I kept saying my vagina hurts. 
I think that was part of the problem mm. is that I wasn't using the correct term to refer to my uh, anatomy. Because of vulva, you said exactly. Mm-hmm. Because I was saying vagina, no one really ever took the time to look at my vulva. They just went right in Inside. tunnel vision, right into the mm-hmm. vagina. And we're like, you look great. You look healthy. Yada, yada. Now, of course you see the vulva. Right. When you're going in. in. Yeah. But that said, I think their focus was okay. The vagina is what's bothering her. It's inside when really what was going on was on the outside. Right. So I wonder in hindsight, if using the proper term for my anatomy might've clued doctors in, or might've at least clued them in to refer me to a vulvar specialist. Right. Right. Um, It is interesting though, right? Because I think even now, I mean, there's more education around it. So more women are calling it, it, you know, calling it the vulva, but a lot of women still refer to it as the vagina. Right. And so it's kind of on the doctor to be like, okay, I'm going to look at the outer and inner when someone says yeah. vagina, you know, but I, I hear what you're saying. And yeah. Like, it's you know, not there's your always that part of me that's right. like, I wonder if, you know, yep. and then the other thing was, as you mentioned, looking down yeah. there, yeah. the importance of actually knowing what you look like yeah. is really, really is important because as I mentioned, the diversity of vulvas, it's important mm-hmm. to know your normal because mm-hmm. if you have a lighter vulva, that doesn't necessarily mean that you have LS. Right. So if somebody right. is listening right now and they go down and they look at themselves and they have really small labia minora and they're very pale down there, that's not necessarily indicative of the fact that you have LS. That just mm-hmm. might be your normal. Right. But if your normal is pink or brown and now you're white or ashy, that's indicative of something could be going on here. Right. And that's right. something that you want to report to your doctor. Yeah. Um, so I wonder, you know, had I looked down there, if I could have advocated better for right. myself in right. the doctor's office, I mean, we'll never know. Yeah. Um, but, you know. Yeah. And, and it's interesting when it. you think about it, because in general, we've been taught societally to not look down there. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. again, I think things are shifting now, finally. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. But for I don't know how old you are, but, you know, I'm 44. And I would say growing up, it definitely was something that most of us did not want to look at, you know, mm-hmm. you're just like, whatever is happening down there, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, uh-huh. and so that is something that needs to start really young, right? Flip the script on that. And, yeah. you know, people that are listening, teaching their daughters and, and, you know, kids with vulvas to really start to embrace and connect mm-hmm. now, because then you can yes. really see you know, what your normal is, especially at a younger age, and then over time, see those changes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's so important. It really, really is. I just started reading Come As You Are by Emily Mm -hmm. Nagoski. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, I know I'm late to the table, folks. I know I'm late. (laughs) I'm so late. I don't know why it took me this long. And like her first chapter is on anatomy. And like, she was talking about when she was teaching how like the first thing she would have students do is look at themselves, Mm -hmm. get Mm -hmm. acquainted, get Mm -hmm. to know your body. It's not Mm -hmm. gross. It's not ugly. It's not wrong. It's a part of you. It's empowering to know what you look like down there. But yes, it can be very scary. And I'm 35. And the first time I looked at my Volvo was when I was diagnosed at 31. Right, right. So I have to ask, did the steroids start working immediately to calm Mm -hmm. things down? So that's a great question. For me, they did mm-hmm. not. It mm-hmm. actually felt like they made it worse at first. So oh, I felt no. more itchy <laughs> and all of this. And I was like, 
what's going on. And so I was actually convinced that I had vulvar cancer because I wasn't mm, responding to the medication because having lichen sclerosis does put you at a slight increased risk of developing vulvar cancer if you do not treat yeah. um, your lichen sclerosis. So the risk is approximately two to 7%. Okay. Um, yeah. So, you know, I was like, I guess it's vulvar cancer since I'm not responding to treatment. Like, I don't know what's going on, but I am in Canada. And since my family doctor diagnosed me, she had to refer me to a gynecologist. And because I'm in Canada, that wait time was nine months. Oh my goodness. So I had nine months to wait to really get some of my questions answered. And so, you know, um, I was like, I don't know what I'm doing wrong, but I just kept applying it because I didn't know any better. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and another thing to ask, <laughs> well, that's just it. And I also over applied because mm. my instructions were apply daily. Mm-hmm. And I was like, cool. I put on chapstick every day, <laughs> but I put on chapstick more than once a day. I put right. on my chapstick, you know, three, four times a day. Right. So I was like, I guess this just means put it on every day as much as you want or need. Right. I don't know. You're like, I'm so just I was waiting like, for it to feel better. <laughs> and like, father, and I, I found out way later that that is very incorrect. Um, yeah. But again, I did what I could with the yeah. knowledge that I had at the time. Yeah. Now, eventually things did settle. But one thing that I always say is that my progress definitely wasn't linear. Mm -hmm. So I would say that about like two months, two to three months, I started feeling a little bit of improvement, but then Mm -hmm. sometimes it would like shoot back down and be like, oh no, I'm not getting better. And Mm -hmm. then I get better Then oh no, I'm not. And I think it really took like six months to stabilize things and then nine months to get into remission. So when I did see that gynecologist, he confirmed that I was in remission. So I was like, great. Didn't even know that was the thing that I could (laughs) Be in, but right. that's good. Like, good news. Thank you. Like, Yay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So did that mean that sex was easier over time too? Or is that still mm. an issue? If you don't mind me asking. So, oh no, of course. That's a great question. And I love talking about sex. So that is no, like there's literally no such thing as too much information for me. <laughs> um, I even have a YouTube video. It's a three-part um, thing where I interview my husband mm, on what this wow. was like from his perspective, his because a lot of the dialogue in the Ellis community is based on the patient's perspective, sure. but I wanted to kind of highlight what it's like for the partner of somebody yeah. with it. Yeah. Um, so when I was diagnosed, I told him we're never having sex again, like I don't think my body can do it. And this mm-hmm. disease causes sexual dysfunction. I assumed falsely mm-hmm. um, that having lichen sclerosis meant you couldn't have a sex life and mm-hmm. that sex was going to be impossible. Mm-hmm. So we actually completely didn't do anything mm-hmm. for like a first uh, one year. Wow. Um, I didn't even want like oral or anything yeah. because I just felt so icky down there. I was yeah. just like, oh, I don't know. Yeah. Um, so we actually didn't do anything. Um Now, when I got into remission, I was almost too afraid to try. Oh, yeah, I can imagine, right? You're like, I don't want to rock the boat. (laughs) That's just it. I was like, Mm -hmm. do you know how long it took me? Like, I've been suffering for like 10 plus years. And I finally, I'm not itching. I'm finally not having fissures. I'm finally not in pain. Yeah. I was really, really afraid. Mm -hmm. Um, But that said, even from the beginning, I knew that I wanted to keep my sex life. I was yeah. 31 years old. I right. was like, you just got married. To me. Yeah. I don't want to throw in the towel. Yeah. Um, so I did two things. I found a sex therapist mm-hmm. and awesome. I worked with a pelvic floor physical therapist because nice. as I have low back problems, I have degenerative disc disease. Mm. I 
I'm no stranger to being in these kind of rehab centers. So I was sitting in the waiting room, you know, multiple times, you know, you're bored waiting for your physical therapist to come. And they usually have all everyone's bios like on the wall, Mm -hmm. you know, they have like each therapist and their little picture Mm -hmm. and what they treat. And I remember reading about pelvic floor physical therapy and I was like, what the hell is that? Mm -hmm. And what's the Mm -hmm. difference between the rest? And I remember seeing that like, they work with people with frequency and urgency problems. Mm-hmm. They work with people that have difficulty having bowel movements, mm-hmm. pain with sex, pregnancy, you name it. Amazing. I'm like, it's always, so amazing. <laughs> I know. And like, I remember it always kind of stood out to me because I had pain with sex, Yeah. but it just, you know, didn't kind of click until I got diagnosed. And then I was mm. like, well, if they can treat people with pain with sex and I have pain with sex because of lichen sclerosis they could probably help me in some capacity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So they did. Yeah. Um, so working with a pelvic floor physical therapist on the physical aspect. So like mm-hmm. working with dilators and kind of retraining the brain and mm-hmm. all of that, learning how to relax my pelvic floor. Mm-hmm. Also just really fostering and developing that mind body connection to yes. my vulva, to my pelvic floor was really important. Yeah. And then the sex therapist, she worked with me on the mental health aspect because now there's a lot of trauma associated yep. with sex. Yep. And I knew that that wasn't something that I had the ability to overcome alone. I yeah. knew that I needed a kind of professional to help walk me through this. Yeah. So, you know, I put those two pieces together and I was working on that, you know, in the, in the back mm-hmm. for like a whole year, you know, kind of doing that. And then I joined like in sclerosis, uh, like sclerosis podcast is hosted by Kathy and she started these virtual meetups Mm. and I attended one Mm -hmm. and this was in 2020, November of 2020. And something that really stood out with me for me was she asked who in the group was able or having sex and no one put their hand up. Yeah. And I was like, Oh wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so the next day she also has this like online membership and I joined that membership and there was a book in there by Dr. Je- uh, Heather Jeffcoat, who's a pelvic floor physical therapist, mm-hmm. um, that was addressing just pain and sex. Mm-hmm. So how to overcome painful sex. I printed that. I read it on my lunch break. In true student form, you can't break the student out of a student, I guess. <laughs> I highlighted and post-it noted and yep. everything. I pulled my dilators out and I got to work mm. and I worked with those dilators. I also worked on like, you know, encouraging the parasympathetic nervous system yes. to come online while I was doing this work. I worked on stress. I worked, I, you know, really just putting all of those pieces Holistic together. Approach, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Totally. And then, um, after about two months, I could get the biggest dilator in. Wow. And one morning I was just like, I feel ready. I think Ooh. I can do this. Yeah. And so, I like went down the hall and I was like, you know, I called out to my husband and I said, do you want to try having sex? No expectations. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like no pressure to orgasm on either side. Like just let's, it's an experiment. We're doing a little experiment. Yeah. Yeah. And we did and it didn't hurt. Wow. And that's the first time in like 15 years, essentially. Right. That you didn't have. And so like right after I sobbed. Oh, I bet. I cried. And for me, it was just, I had no memories of sex ever being completely pain-free. Right. Right. And I never thought that was possible for somebody like me. Wow. And when I got that diagnosis, I especially didn't think it was possible. Right. And then even after that, you know, I went to the bathroom and I felt, 
all of the muscles in my, you know, my core muscles, everything yeah. tensed up yeah. because I'm used to it stinging after right. because I would have a tear. And so the right. urine would get in the cut and it would sting. So I would like brace. And I was yeah. like, it's not hurting. And you're like, okay, buddy, you can just oh, relax now. Okay. And then after that, I was like, oh no, what if I get a flare up from this or something right. like that? Um, and then it didn't happen. I didn't get a flare up and then we did it again and I didn't have a flare up. And so now I have a great sex life. Oh, now so I can good. have sex and there's no pain. Ugh. It's pleasurable. It did take <laughs> a lot of work to get there. Yeah. And yes, like it is for me anyways, very much like a holistic thing. Yeah. So, you know, I use steroids, um, mm -hmm. topical steroids, by yes. the way, for anyone listening, this is not an oral systemic. Mm -hmm. It's a topical applied just to the vulva. Mm -hmm. um, so I obviously use that to heal and maintain remission. Mm -hmm. That said, it's never just about one thing for me personally. Right. So it was like steroids and pelvic floor physical therapy and sex therapy and, you know, relaxation and stress reduction. It was all of these things. And mm -hmm. so putting all of those together and just giving my space, myself permission to allow this to take the time that it will take. Yeah got me to that point because a lot yeah. of people with LS have these big like timelines, right? They're like, okay, I need to be able to have sex in two months. Mm -hmm. Like I need to get better in this time. And I said, I'm going to let my body do what it needs. I'm going to give my body. My body was so thankful for that. Yes. <laughs> right. Yes. It was probably like, finally, girl, yeah. it took you long enough. <laughs> like, why did it take you so long? And I think that was a big part of, you know, mm -hmm. why I ended up where I ended up, which is yeah you know, in remission, I've been in remission for two and a half years, mm, um, no symptoms, able to have sex, I don't fixate mentally on it anymore. Um, like I did in the beginning. So like complete change from, yeah. uh, you know, where I was so good. So I have mm -hmm. to ask, do, in using the steroids, does it actually change over time the color or mm. it, does it, you know, I know that you said that there was you know, fusion that had happened. Does it yeah. change anything in terms of that? Right. So what the steroids do is they actively work to reduce the local inflammation Okay. because mm -hmm. what LS is, is it's a boatload of inflammation. It's mm -hmm. actually the single most inflammatory skin condition that you can have. Mm. And what the kind of current science tells us is that there's essentially a protein in the basement layer of the skin. So the skin, mm -hmm. the vulvar skin has seven layers. There's a protein down there that the body doesn't recognize as self. And so it starts attacking, it. It, it, starts mm -hmm. attacking it and that launches this massive inflammatory response. And what yeah. that response does is it changes how the top layers appear. Mm -hmm. So if you look at a biopsy, um, you see this hyper area of what they call hyperkeratosis, which is mm -hmm. thickening. Mm -hmm. Um, you see this big band of that. There's a lot of abnormal collagen. There's all these changes and that is responsible for changing the color because that inflammatory response kills off these cells, which mm -hmm. are called melanocytes. Mm -hmm. Melanocytes are basically the cells that are responsible for the pigmentation. Mm -hmm. So it kills those cells off in this process. And that's responsible for the hypopigmentation that we see right. and all of that changing. So what the steroids do is they come in and they get that inflammation down. down. Mm -hmm. And we have a lot of scientific papers that look at pre and post biopsies, mm -hmm. you know, before, and mm -hmm. then after using steroids and the reduction in inflammation is dramatic Yeah, and it's unmatched in terms yeah. of all the other treatment options out there. 
no other treatment Makes options sense. other than calcineurin inhibitors, mm. um, which are another kind of immunosuppressant. Okay. Nothing comes close to getting that, that inflammation yeah, down yeah. to that point. Yeah. So what does that mean for the patient perspective? Mm-hmm. The color in most cases will return. Oh wow. There okay. are some rare cases where that color does not return. So mm-hmm. some people will have like stubborn areas of whiteness or, you know, ashiness that just mm-hmm. don't resolve. Right. Um, and that's just the inflammation just completely killed off the melanocytes. Right. And that no doesn't way to go back, unfortunately. It yeah. doesn't come back. But most people actually, yes, the color does come back. Mm-hmm. It is something that takes time. So like I was saying in the beginning where the steroids didn't work immediately for me, mm-hmm. it does take time for the steroids to really start to work yeah. and reverse some of those changes. So the steroids yeah. will change the color and the texture of the skin. So okay. um, the thickened texture, that hardness, that rigid, like, immobile, mm-hmm. that will start to become more flexible okay. and the skin texture will start to return more like normal. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really like that word, but right. Right. So less word. kind Back of scar tissue. Yeah. And exactly. more sort of what it is. It's going like to have a healthier. Right. Yeah, exactly. Unfortunately though, steroids cannot reverse any fusing that oh, has occurred. Yeah. 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 Um, I mean, that so makes sense because it would saying, be like, you have to grow it back almost, that's right? That's just it. You would yeah. literally have to grow it back. Yeah. So for labial fusing, there's currently not too much that can be done. Mm-hmm. Um, but for clitoral fusing, there actually is. You can okay. reverse fusing. So as I was saying, I was completely scarred over. Yeah. I completely unfused my clitoris. Wow. From the steroids. Um, not from the steroids. Okay. No. From so, surgery or? No. Yeah. So it used to be, well, that, that is an option. It yeah. used to be that the main option for unfusing the clitoris was um, something called a lysis of adhesions. Okay. Lysis just means to separate. Adhesions is scarring okay. or the fusing. Mm-hmm. So they kind of go in with a duct probe and some scissors, surgical scissors. They put you under and they mm-hmm. separate the two. Mm-hmm. The reason a lot of doctors don't like to perform this is there is a tendency for patients to kind of refuse back up afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why when they do agree to do the surgery, they need you to agree to be compliant with your steroids to make sure that you're keeping the inflammation calm enough so that you don't fuse back up or yeah, over makes, again. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, But then I started hearing, and that's not really an option for us in Canada, by the way. So I would have had to fly to the United States. Okay. And I was like, this would end up costing me like $30,000. If you think about the cost of the surgery, the flights, the hotel, the food, the anesthesia, the medication, like I was like, that's not an option. That's exactly right. I was like, that's like low balling it. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I, that's not, you know, that might be in some people's budget. That's not in mine. Yeah. Um, then I started hearing about, and I read a couple studies on clitoral myofascial release, Mm -hmm. um, for, I know about myofascial release. So I, right. And I was going to say, so anyone that kind of knows, you know, physical therapy and stuff like mm-hmm. that. They're very familiar with myofascial release. Even if you've been in the gym, the amount of times I go to the gym and trainers are like, let me like work on your fascia, your fascia yeah. tight, you know? Yeah. So I kind of knew what that was. And I was like, interesting. Um, so they start using these kind of clitoral myofascial techniques where they're mm-hmm. strategically kind of stretching mm-hmm. and holding sustained stretches, also doing certain movements, just Mm -hmm. trying to bring back some mobility to the Mm -hmm. skin. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And, you know, doing it in different ways, it's always good to get assessed with a a therapist first because everyone's fusing is different. So like I had to focus more on the left side and, you know, she gave me certain techniques to do and a pelvic floor physical therapist did teach me how to do this. Mm -hmm. And then I also heard um, a podcast, um, Kathy had interviewed Dr. Rachel Rubin, who is a huge, big name in the clitoral health and biology space, right? Mm -hmm. Like she just had this big article in the New York Times. So Mm -hmm. kind of a lot of people know who she is. Yeah. She actually has a non-surgical lysis of adhesions. It takes about 30 minutes. It's done in office. They numb up the clitoral area. Uh-huh. And basically all she's doing is really aggressively stretching until oh. the adhesions break up. So I actually kind of took her technique and kind of applied that to myself, mm-hmm. added clitoral myofascial release. Mm-hmm. And I also added in, um, and this was experimental and off-label, um, 2% topical testosterone. Um, um, And I'm just going to say this briefly, but what happens in the thought with testosterone, and again, this is experimental, Mm -hmm. is that this is my clitoris here buried Mm -hmm. around my hand. Mm -hmm. And so testosterone will actually grow the clitoris. It'll make it bigger. Mm -hmm. So the thought is that in making it bigger, it'll kind of burst through some Um, of those adhesions and free things up. So it's not a permanent thing. You don't right. use the hormones for life, right? right? It was a eight week thing for me. So I applied the testosterone and I used some of Dr. Rachel Rubin's techniques along with the clitoral myofascial release that I was taught. And within six weeks, I was completely unfused. Wow. That's incredible. I mean, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. And it's interesting it as you were talking about it, I, I, you know, I thought about sort of the scar tissue, the adhesions that um, happened to me in my, you know, in my stomach. Mm, And I mean, so much of it is to get in there and just work on release. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and using different things. And that's very fascinating about the testosterone, but that makes, I did know that it helps the clit to grow. So I can see, it's like pull all that together. And, and I think this is such good information in general, if people have scar tissue or or adhesions Mm, that it doesn't have to be the be all end all once you have that. And if you have any surgery ever, you're going to have some adhesions. That's just what the body does. Right. And so Mm -hmm. really working consistently like you did. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just amazing that you were able to do that with your clitoris. Because that was another thing. Like there was two things I thought when I was first diagnosed, I'll never have sex again and I'll never see my clitoris. And again, like you know, also with all of that scarring, you can experience reduced sensation. Yeah. I was going to say a, cl- um, a clitoral so. orgasm, I would think would be pretty hard when you have all that. Yeah. Scar like I around. still could, yeah. but it was definitely reduced. Right. So right. it wasn't nearly as powerful as it once was. And now it's kind of back to what it was. So yeah. wow. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. That's amazing. So mm-hmm. um, we have to I know, close it out here soon, but I do, uh, I, I'm curious about at that point when you sort of I mean, you did a lot of self-healing, really, you know, I mean, you got help, but you did a lot of self-healing. Did you decide then, okay, I want to help other people? How did Mm. you get into sort of the educational component? Oh, yeah. Great question. So, yeah. So once I kind of, you know, got into remission and Mm -hmm. kind of was in a good place myself, um, Kathy from Lichen and Sclerosis podcast, you know, in the membership, I was always responding to everyone, (laughs) everyone that had a question, I was responding and I gave them like a book. Everyone always (laughs) joked in there. Oh, Jacqueline's going to write a book about lichen sclerosis one day. And I still hope to. Um, and Kathy was like, well, do you want to start? Oh, and then I said, 
Kathy had this thing where she was like, let's set goals for 2021. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said, I want to start writing about lichen sclerosis. Mm-hmm. And so she saw that and she said, well, I have a website. Do you want a blog? Nice. And I was like, that terrifies me. <laughs> yes, let's <laughs> yes, do it. Let's yes, do I want to do it. <laughs> so it just started out as kind of a blog and then it really quickly just morphed. And then I got my own website and created everything. But I think what it was for me was it was actually my background, um, my academic background Mm -hmm. that kind of really inspired me to do what I kind of do now. Mm -hmm. Um, So I have a PhD in philosophy of neuroscience, Okay, which I know is a bit of a mouthful, but that essentially (laughs) just, yeah, I know everyone that I said that to was like, I'm sorry, you're gonna have to say that slowly. What (laughs) philosophy of neuroscience? Okay. (laughs) What is that? Yeah. Break it down. (laughs) Yeah. Essentially it boils down to thinking critically about cognitive neuroscience. Mm. And so for people that don't really know what cognitive neuroscience is, it's just a field of science that is interested in investigating the underlying processes and mechanisms responsible for cognition. So what's behind our ability to think and Mm -hmm. to remember what's Mm -hmm. going on in the brain that allows us to do these things. Mm -hmm. Um, And so my dissertation focused on the role of systematic reviews and meta-analysis for corroborating information about the mind. Mm -hmm. Again, I know that's a little bit of, you know, a tongue twister there, but essentially what that means is that my dissertation focused on looking at the protocols and methods in scientific papers to help determine whether we could trust the conclusion from those papers. Mm. So a lot of this was motivated by questions like what makes a good study versus you know, a poor quality study Mm -hmm. and what makes information reliable versus unreliable. Mm -hmm. So now kind of branching into the lichen sclerosis world, it's a different field of science, right? Mm -hmm. It's gynecology and dermatology, but I use those principles that I kind of, you know, fostered during my PhD. And I now apply that to lichen sclerosis literature. So I don't need need people doing that. Yeah. The truth is that, you know, like I said, and I'll try and make this quick because I know we have to wrap things up, but when people are diagnosed, they get no answers from their doctors. So what do they do? They turn to Google. Right. And Google gives them thousands of web pages and support groups and information and studies. And it's almost like this information avalanche and then yeah. people just get buried yep. and they don't know what's the right way to dig themselves out. Yep. So they don't know like what information can I trust mm-hmm. and what information can't I trust? Mm-hmm. And so for me, I was like, great, cool. Like, let me apply all the knowledge that I learned let me apply the, you know, the protocols that I developed to my PhD to kind of go through these papers and see like what research on lichen sclerosis is trustworthy and what isn't, and then use that and help explain it in a way that is digestible and understandable for a general audience. Because otherwise it's like, if I'm talking about adhesions and all of these things, a lot of people are like, I'm sorry, what? Yeah. (laughs) Just tell me what's going on. Like instead of fusing, say this piece sticks to this piece. Okay. Like, you know, bring it to people in that way. In the layman's terms or what have you. Exactly. Exactly. And because like, you know, a lot of, you know, there's a lot of misinformation in all fields of science. And a lot of times that's because people pull sentences out of context. Yes. And I always say context is everything. Like Mm -hmm. people pull stuff out of context about steroids Mm -hmm. and then that perpetuates certain myths and certain fears. And then people don't use their medication because of 
a statement that wasn't properly contextualized in the first place, yeah. or people just read the abstract yep. because in fairness, a lot of medical articles are not available to the public. They're right. not open access. Right. So what people get is a short abstract and mm -hmm. maybe two sentences of a conclusion. Mm -hmm. And then they say, well, this paper said this. Yeah. And then I say, okay, so I read that study mm -hmm. several times mm -hmm. and here's what this actually means. Yes. And also sometimes they'll say, you know, a conclusion might say platelet rich plasma is an effective treatment for lichen sclerosis. Mm -hmm. But then you pull up the actual paper and you read that. Mm, not really. This, no, not really. <laughs> yeah. Because the way that the study was constructed yes. was biased and all of these things. So it's not that it's a yes or a no. It's that that conclusion needs more research to, to yeah. back it up. We yes. don't know enough yet. Right. Right. Or something like that. Right. So it's yep. all People about being look really over that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So mm -hmm. it's all about those subtleties, right? It's yep. about context. It's about really being able to go through that information, yeah. know whether it's reliable or not, and then present it in a way that's realistic. So not steroids are a cure-all. They're right. not, they're not a cure. And they also don't work for everybody. And there right. are options for people that they don't work for, but mm. it's about those nuances and presenting the information in a way that people can understand. Um, so I just thought like, this is a great merging of kind of both worlds uh, for me. 100%. So I'm like, can we I bring you of... over the hormone world? <laughs> <laughs> because they're, you know, I would just love to, I would love to oh, learn more man. about hormones because we definitely think that there's a hormonal piece to like, yeah, sclerosis. yeah. And that makes sense. And so yeah. I'm, yeah. And so yeah. I'm getting more and more interested in that world mm -hmm. too. And mm -hmm. so it's just, yeah, now I'm just really passionate about sharing you know, studies and sharing education with people and, yeah. you know, supporting them. I also do like one-on-one -on -one support calls with people um, right. so that they can have like more time because yes. the support groups are usually like, all right, you got a couple minutes and right. go. Right. And, and so with the support yeah. calls, you can do 30 or 60 minutes and I can, you know, some people will just be like, can you read this study and explain it to me? Yeah. Other people are like, I have health anxiety and I know you have health anxiety, help mm -hmm. me um, kind mm -hmm. of thing. And of course, mm -hmm. I'm always very transparent with people not a medical doctor. Yes. I'm not a psychologist and I cannot replace either of those two. Right. So again, it's, it's like you're, you're an being... advocate slash researcher, you know, yeah. educator. I mean, and mm -hmm. that's such a important go between, I think, you yeah, know, especially yeah, definitely. in trying and to I even do. find doctors that know these yeah, things. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and I definitely also work with some doctors too, because I'm mm -hmm. currently involved in three different research projects uh, internationally and in Canada with a team of gynecologists and dermatologists as a patient partner and patient rep. So I'm very, so very, cool. very in the yeah. LS space yeah. um, and very much passionate about helping people reclaim their life. Wow. Because amazing. it is totally possible. Yeah. So amazing. Well, let people know how they can contact you. Yeah. So um, my website is lostlabia.com mm -hmm. um, and my blog is there. My YouTube is there. Um, I also create content for Lichen Sclerosis Support Network. Mm -hmm. um, so their um, website is lssupportnetwork.org. So you can check out. I also create content there. And if you want to reach me personally, you can either reach me via email, Jacqueline, J-A-C-L-Y-N at lostlabia.com, or you can find me at the Lost Labia Chronicles on Instagram. Nice. Perfect. And we'll make sure all of that's in the notes so people can directly get to you. Awesome. This was amazing. Thank you so much for, I mean, your knowledge, your expertise, really. I mean, one of the things I was thinking the whole time is how well you break everything down. 
for people to understand. So, you know, that's definitely needed more in the health world and women's health and everything. So I really appreciate the work that you're doing. And I'm so happy that, you know, that you can be um, an example of coming out on the other side, right? That right. that it is possible. So, yeah, totally. yeah, so. Well, thank you so much for having me. Yeah. I'm super honored to be here. Absolutely. Okay, you guys, I will see you next week.